So we'll see if we can get this together a little more next time. Would you please turn with us this morning in Luke chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1. Authority. <laughs> be interesting to see where Brother Jackie takes us with this. But here's at least one man's understanding of authority, the ultimate authority. When he had completed his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a certain centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And when they had come to Jesus, they earnestly entreated him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him. For he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave... Do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and turned and said to the multitude that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. And it came about soon afterwards that he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. And as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the son, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her, and he said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And fear gripped them all, and they began to glorify God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. Lord, I just pray this morning as Pastor Jackie shares with us, Lord, that our hearts would be open to... The, the teaching, the reproof, the education of your word, Lord, may we take it into our very core of our being. Lord, I just ask you that you would bless Jackie and give him your words, Lord, that he would be your mouthpiece to speak to your people. In Jesus' precious, precious name, amen. Oh, isn't God's word great? I love having the opportunity to to dive in and look at it. 
as we uh, prepare to dive in, I, I uh, left out an announcement. Levi's group, a youth group, won't be meeting. He won't get back from men's retreat in time. So he'll hook up with you guys next week. <clears throat> so as we come, we see this incredible outpouring of ultimately the authority of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we want to recognize when we come to the Word, we want to see, you know, and I've shared with you guys before, when Luke gave us these two examples of healing and uh, the empowerment of Christ and the ministry of Christ, he did so for a reason. Why? Why these two? John said that Jesus did so many things that all the books ever written couldn't hold them all. So obviously we're not told every event that happened in Jesus' life for the the three years of his ministry. So Luke, the gospel writer Luke, he focuses on these. There's a reason. If you and I were to sit down and write a letter to somebody and, and we were telling them some events in our life that something that happened to us, there'd be a reason we were telling them, right? There's something that we want them to take from it. So when we come to the scriptures, we want to have our eyes open that we are able to do that. Luke, what is it that you're laying out for us? God, what is it that that these stories are supposed to alight in my heart? What am I supposed to see? In the in the first one, we are told that that uh, this Gentile man, one of two that we're going to see mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, uh, two Gentiles that is, uh, had great faith, faith beyond any faith that he had seen in all of Israel, and. He's going to use the authority, Jesus Christ is going to use his authority and bring healing into his life. And just in case we want to write a book on that's how you do healing, Jesus is then going to raise a dead man of which he says nothing about faith. The only thing that he mentions to the mother is don't weep because Jesus is moved with compassion for her. And they go together these stories they're placed together in the same area in the same direction because luke wants us to see something and prayerfully it's something that we want to see as well we want to be able to glean understand lord what is going on here so the word declares to us in verse one after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people he entered capernaum now we know he's got a lot of people following him right We'll see it as we continue to look. And it says the centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Now this is interesting, no? Well, since when does a centurion care about his slave? Since when does a Roman care about a slave? Well, let me put it in maybe something a little easier. How much do you care about your lawnmower? I don't care too much about mine. My lawnmower breaks. I'm like, woohoo! <laughs> I get to, maybe I can borrow somebody else's that actually works instead of trying to use mine. That was the way they look at slaves. They didn't look at slaves like people. They didn't see a person, or not typically. So there's something immediately different about this centurion, right? Because this centurion cares about his slave. He's looking at him and he's saying, wow, the, I, not only do I just care about him, He's highly valued. Highly valued. Man, he's saying, I, I really care about what's happening with my, with my slave. What's going on? He's sick. So when the centurion heard about Jesus, he said to him, elders of the Jews. What? When's the last time you've seen centurions, Roman centurions, and the elders of the Jews working together? Ever? Not, not usually. And the elders of the Jews are just going to voluntarily go for this centurion. Man, there's something happening in this story. There's something happening in the life of this man that has set him apart. That has brought together in the, in the realm of the sphere of influence of this centurion, the influence of the elders of the Jews and a love and concern for his slave. And that's just not normal. Not typically a part 
of the culture. Now we understand a little bit about why the, the elders cared about him because the word goes on. What does it say? It says, and they came asking him, Jesus, to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly. So you have the elders of the Jews begging Jesus to come heal this man's servant, a centurion, who, by the way, is in charge of the Roman legion, the, the, the cohort, probably, that is there in Capernaum, and they're probably not super peaceful relating to one another. But you have these people together, coming to Jesus, looking, looking for a solution, and then they say this, He is worthy, this centurion, this Gentile, He's worthy, Jesus, for you to consider... Why? Because he loves our nation and he built our synagogue. If you came with us to Israel a couple, it's been a couple years now since we went, and uh, if you talk to my wife, she's excited because I think we're setting up to go again in 2019. So if you didn't get to go, you'll have another opportunity. But when we go to Capernaum, we'll, we'll go to a synagogue that's on the site of this synagogue that this centurion built. Not the same synagogue. This synagogue we'll stand in is from the 2nd century A.D., but it's over, utilizing some of the same stones of the one that this particular centurion built for Capernaum. So this guy is kind of just different. There's, he's a centurion, a Roman traditional enemy of the Jews, hated most of the time, but they love him. And most centurions wouldn't give a nickel. But the scripture here indicates, not only did the centurion build them a synagogue, he built it himself. He paid for it. Yeah, you see a Roman official coming into town doing that? Yeah. We have somebody, you know, that'd be like someone from our government coming to Buell saying, I'm going to build your church. Nope, doesn't cost you anything. I just want to build you a church. Something special about this guy. Something that kind of sets him apart. He loves the nation of Israel. I, I don't know what, the last time you saw uh, or read about a Roman loving the nation of Israel. Most of them were like, oh man, I got in trouble and they sent me here to do my penance. So I got to do, I gotta do uh, 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 you know, a, a tour down here in Israel. Nobody wanted to be there. Nobody wanted to be a part of that. Something special about this guy. There's something special about his relationship to a slave. There's something special about elders asking Jesus for him. There's something special about his reputation and and what the people thought of him. It's just something interesting about this story. Matthew chapter 8 verse 6, we're told about his servant. Lord, Matthew writes, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. And suffering terribly. So that what's going on with his servant is bad. It's bad. And it's moved this guy to seek some type of audience with Jesus. And so the scripture goes on in verse (coughs) 6. It says, so Jesus went with them. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to go. So he turns to go with him. And when he had not gone far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Wow. Think about what he's saying. You know, most of us are really okay with a God created in our own image. You heard I said that, right? We're all okay with a God that's in our image, who does what we like, how we like, the way we like. Soon as God disappoints us, then you'll find out where the rubber meets the road. As soon as God does it different, as soon as God says no, as soon as something happens that we can't understand, and we'll come face to face with a reality that either... We are men and women created in the image of God, or we have a God created in our image. This man, as Jesus is drawing near, looking at the suffering of his servant, he recognizes that 
his house isn't a worthy place for Jesus to come into. That is humility. That is a level of humility that says, man, I'm, I'm a wretch. We sing songs like that, right? We just, up at the, up at the men's retreat, we've been talking about unstoppable. And so, <clears throat> Friday night, I was sharing with them from Acts chapter 9 when Paul gets saved, right? And he sees the light, right? We, we, we sing songs about it, right? I see the light. I, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I saw, no? None of you guys ever heard of Hank Williams? We're in Idaho, for crying out loud. <laughs> Anyhow... The, which was the whole point of, the, of, of Paul's conversion is he thinks he's doing right and he's serving a God in his own image. And he's wiping out Christians and he's full of fervor and he's full of, of desire to, to be honorable. And so that means wipe out all the Christians. And then what happened? He saw the light. Jesus Christ revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus. And, and Paul falls down to his knees and he is immediately confronted with his wretchedness and God's holiness. And when we come face to face with our wretchedness and God's holiness, the only way for us to be before his presence in that moment is through humility. That's why God says, I draw near to the humble. The proud... I resist. God says, I have grace for the humble. The proud, I resist. Of the seven things listed in Proverbs that God hates, proud look is right at the top of the list. Standing in our pride. What this guy says as he, as he sends these guys to Jesus is, man, I'm, I'm not worthy. Not worthy for you to come into my house, which means he knows for a Jew to enter into a Gentile's house is a is a problem. But what I always love about Jesus is he doesn't get wrapped around the axle over man's rules, right? You'll have a hard time finding that one in the Bible, by the way, looking it up and saying uh, you're not allowed to go into a Gentile's house. You have a hard time with it. But that was their ideal. I can't go to a Gentile's house. Why? Because if I go into an unclean person's house, their uncleanness gets on me. And now I'm unclean. But what did Jesus come to show us? He showed us something different, didn't he? Because what Jesus did, and he reached out and touched the unclean, and his holiness affected them, not their uncleanness affecting him. Why? Because he's God. He's God in the flesh, and so he touches them. Remember the leper? The leper comes up to him, Jesus touches him. What happens? Did Jesus get leprosy? No, what happened? The leper was cleansed. Yeah? Later on in our story, he's going he's gonna to touch a dead guy. What happens? Does the dead guy get on him? Or the life in Christ was transferred into the dead man? The holiness of Christ is now, he's showing us that he can make us clean. Just like the leper declared earlier in, in chapter 5 of Luke when he came up and he knelt before the Lord and said, God, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Right? That's the same thing. Now you just have a centurion who, who is a pillar in his community, who cares about the people around him, who actually has the desire to help his servants and not just seeing them as property. And he, but yet, in all those good things, and all that stuff that everybody would have said about him, and how they would have put up banners of his name, of how great and wonderful this guy is, when he considers who Jesus is, he says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You're holy, not me. I can't handle the weightiness. And then he says this incredible thing that the scripture lays out for us, right? He, he says, now, I want you to understand, he says, therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be okay. Just speak. Immediately when I look at that, you know, my, my brain always goes back to a guy named Samuel. You guys remember Samuel? 
And he was being raised by an older fellow named Eli, right? Wasn't really his dad, but he's being raised by him. And one night, Samuel starts hearing somebody call his name. So he jumps up like an obedient child, and he runs into Eli's room, and he says, Yeah, Eli, what do you want? And Eli said, What? You called me. No, man, I didn't call you. Go to bed. So he goes back to bed. A couple minutes later, here comes Samuel trampling back in Eli's room. What? Eli said, what do you mean what? You called me. No, I didn't call you. Then Eli says, hey Samuel, next time you hear someone call your name, say this. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. So Samuel went back, heard his name again, and said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Here you have a centurion saying to Jesus, just speak, Lord. And it'll happen. It'll be just like you said. Just speak. Just say the word. Lord, if you say the word, because I'm a man of authority, and I understand authority, and if I tell this guy go, he goes. That's how it works in the military, right? How many guys in the military? Anybody? Couple? Right? Yeah? (laughs) Oh, sorry. How many men and women in the military? Where we learned that when somebody tells us to do something, you do it. Yeah, if you didn't learn that, you should have went to the Marine Corps. They'd be happy to teach you. But I think all of us learned it, right? All of us got the idea, hey, we, when someone has authority over us, we, we respond to their authority. Whatever they tell us to do, we go do. So he says to Jesus, then I know you're a man of authority, Lord, and I know if you say it, it'll be. Do you understand what the centurion is saying about Jesus? There's only one being in all the universe that had that kind of power. You read about it in Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. And light was. Nobody else has that. No one else could say, servant be healed and he would be healed. No one else could say, peace be still and the storm would stop. No one else could say that the blind could see, the lame could walk, or the dead would rise again. But God himself. And so the centurion is saying to Jesus, this is what I believe. I have confidence in who you are. The centurion has confidence in Christ. We often talk about, when we talk about healing, we talk about miracles, we talk about faith. Because faith is part of the subject. But here's what happens so often. People talk about having faith in faith. And faith in faith is nothing. You can write the word, we believe, all over your walls, all you want. You can hang banners everywhere. We believe, we believe, unless it's what you believe in is what matters. The centurion said, I trust you, God. My confidence is in you. My hope is in you. You speak the word, and it will be done. So in verse 9, it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them. And he turned to the crowd who followed him. See, there's a bunch of people following him, right? He turns to the crowd who's following him and said, I tell you, not even in all of Israel have I seen such faith. That word just, it scares me sometimes because of the way we use it. What, What he's saying is, this centurion who has never met me face to face, has only heard of me, trusts me more than anybody in all of Israel. He trusts me. In essence, the centurion not only has bowed the knee before God and declared, whatever you say, whatever you do, I trust you. He's also said the same for his servant. Whatever you say, Lord, if you say it, it can be well. How many of us know if God says you're healed, you're healed? I don't have a problem with the concept at all. God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. What the word declares. God is able to do it all. The struggle is, are we okay with what God chooses to do? Are we okay when God's ways are different than mine? Am I following the God who created me in His image? Or am I following a God created in mine? We need to have a good answer to that. 
Because the faith in the God who created is living, true, saving faith. And faith in a God you created is just faith in the make-believe. Big difference. Jesus says, I haven't seen anybody trust me like this guy. Never seen me. Any of you guys seen the Lord? I haven't. Do you trust Him? Can you have the faith that says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You speak the word and it'll be done. Do you have the faith that says, I'll trust God no matter what He does or how He does it? Jesus is blown away. He's marveling. Only two places in Scripture that says that Jesus marveled. One right here. Marveled, blown away at the faith of this centurion. The second place, in Nazareth, when Jesus marveled at the unbelief of his own people. He marveled at the faith of a centurion, a Gentile. He marveled at the unbelief of the Jewish people in the town he grew up in. We'll find ourselves probably in one of those two categories. Trusting the Lord, putting our faith and hope in Him. Well, what's, what's the result? What occurs? What happens? What's birthed from this? In verse 10 it says, When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Did you miss something? Did you see Jesus say anything? Did He say, Your servant's well? They turn around and go home, and the servant that was writhing in pain, paralyzed and suffering horrifically, his pain is lifted. And Jesus has done the miracle. From that very hour, Matthew says, when they spoke to him, the servant was good. <coughs> he was right. This man that others would have looked at and said, Man, this guy, he's an incredible example. Look at him. He's got it all put together. Wears the right clothes. Talks to the right people. Everybody loves him. Everybody respects him. But this is the man who would say to Jesus, I'm, I'm a wretch. I'm not worthy of you being in my presence. But if you're willing, just like a leper, you can make me clean. I like to think that centurion is one of the first converts when we get to the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church. All he needed was the whole picture put together. He's ready, no? He's ready to receive. He's ready to believe. He's already trusting. He's already looking. He's already seeing. But listen to what Jesus is going to tell us in Luke 14, verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. One of the first things that stick out about this guy is his humility. The second thing that I think really sticks out is his trust. What's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Then what? Lean not into your own understanding. Yeah, that means don't, don't trust your own brain to have it all figured out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In what? In all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will do what? He'll give you a straight path. He'll make your path straight. He'll show you where to walk. He'll help you walk the minefield of life. Right? Anybody walking a minefield right now? Want to know which way to turn? What's next? What do I do next? How's this all supposed to fit together, God? I don't, I don't know if I get it all. Well, what's it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean in your own understanding, because sometimes God's way is different than yours, isn't it? Sometimes God wants to do it different. Sometimes God has a, a different plan. And learning to be okay with God's different plan is real and sometimes hard. No? Ask Kathy, she'll tell you. Her plan was ski all winter. God's plan was not that. God's plan was different. I have something else. Lean not in your own understanding, but in everything you do, acknowledge me. 
and I'll walk you through the minefield. I'll get you through the events and the struggles of your life. We see this in the heart of this man. He had humility, he had dependency, and ultimately he saw Jesus Christ as who he was. Lord, you have authority. If you speak the word, it'll be what you said. He had faith, belief, trust in who Jesus was. But immediately the scripture says, we turn our attention from this guy, the centurion, and we put our attention on a mother. A mother, the centurion and the mother this week. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So you got a little town, Nain, small place, not a very big place, and a pretty well-known widow, apparently, and somebody must have cared about her son, because there's a great crowd with them. Now, traditionally, when somebody would die, you would go buy mourners. You would go pay for someone to come mourn, so that there was somebody that was there at the funeral to weep over the dead. It was just something culturally that they did. So as they're coming out of town, I want you to picture it. Here comes mom crying over the loss of her son. Bible doesn't tell us how old he is, but we'll see in a minute. I don't think he's too old. But as they coming out of town, it says, great crowd. Do you see it, right? Great crowd coming out of the city gate. Who's coming in the city gate? Jesus is coming in the city gate. He's coming in with his disciples. And what else? What's, who's following him? A great crowd. Now, you ever seen a city gate in a small town? So a city gate in a small town was designed so that if someone attacked the city, they had to make a 90 degree turn. So you'd come in the gate, you'd get an opportunity to go, come with us to Israel, go to a place called Dan. And we'll walk through the ancient city gate of Dan, which you're going to walk into the gate, and then you're going to take a 90 degree turn, and you're going to walk a, a few feet, and you're going to take another 90 degree turn, and you're going to walk a few feet. On the sides are, are benches. That's where the leaders of the town would be in case there was any squabbles or things to deal with in the town. So, and, and Dan was a big city. So, and in the city gate's not big. You can fill the whole city gate with a busload of 40 people. So if I can fill the city gate with 40 people, and Jesus followed by a great multitude, and there's a great crowd following this woman coming out of the city gate, what do we have in the city gate? Yeah, we got a traffic jam. We got a traffic jam on purpose. Jesus has an appointment he wants to keep. Do you know that God's not late? Everybody doesn't always know. I guarantee you that mom weeping over her child is pretty sure God's late. He didn't make it, God. He's gone. She doesn't know God's just outside the city gate right now. And what she thinks is too late is really not too late. But there's a point and a purpose behind it. Again, I don't think, even like this first story, I don't think the point is the miracle. I don't think the point is the healing. I think the point is that Jesus is saying to the centurion, he has authority to cleanse from a distance. From a distance. He doesn't have to touch you. Every time you and I come to faith, what do we do? When we came to faith, when I came to faith in Christ, I, in essence, bow my knee and say, Lord, I'm unclean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. God, I'm a sinner, and I need your cleansing. And what what does Jesus do? He says the prayer of faith is answered. The prayer of faith is answered, and he comes in and cleanses me. All he has to do is say the word. It's not about the healing. It's about what Jesus Christ had come to do. He came and he did healings, but he came to what? Purge man of sin. He came to pave the way of salvation. He came so that people could enter into a real relationship with Almighty God. And here you have a woman walking out with her dead son. And Jesus walking in at the same time. And just in case there was any chance that they would just pass, like ships in the night, they're stuck at the city gate. Somebody's got to move. Jesus didn't move. You ever find yourself walking through a crowd thinking the other guy's going to move? And he, he's thinking you're going to move. 
And then you end up with a really awkward, too close, weird thing happen. Right? Yeah, yeah. Usually that's what I say. Did you want to dance? I don't know what to say. I feel stupid. I should have moved. Sorry. I don't know. You got that that whole, that's what you have going on here. Jesus walking into the gate, coming into the city, a big crowd coming out. I love the idea that Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to come to this again at the end, but just by way of reminder, here's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You and me. We were dead in our trespasses and sin in which we once walked. We were following the course of this world. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, fulfilling the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Everybody's in the same boat, right? Everybody's in the same boat. But look at the next phrase. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. You have a preview of coming events in the gate with the widow name. That when Jesus is raised from the dead, we who come to faith are raised with him. That I was once a dead man walking, but I'm not a dead man walking anymore. I found life in Christ. Just like this young man coming out of the city is going to find life with Christ. What faith does a young man have right now? Does he have any? Interesting, though. What about the mom? What, is she going to ask? Lord, heal my son? Nope, she's not going to get that out. She's not going to get a chance. Why? Because what did Jesus come to do? He came to make the dead live. And we're all dead without him. He came to make the dead live. He's showing them. He's showing them, this is what I've come to do. So many times we come to the Gospels and we want to take what's happening and we want to somehow squeeze it into the box of the church. Guys, Jesus didn't come to establish a church. He came to establish salvation. The church is birthed after His death, burial, and resurrection. He's come to show the people that the kingdom of God is at hand. The ability to enter into, and if we're in Christ, we're in the kingdom. If you are in Christ Jesus, then He's your king. If He's not your king, you're not in Christ Jesus. I bow the knee to Him. He's the king. He's the final word. He's the one who can say, you're clean and I'm clean. He's the one who can say, you live and you live. He's the one who says, you're coming home and you go home. He is the final authority and answer. And so we, I just want you to picture this woman. She's coming out the city gate and she has no future. None. She has no son. In that culture, that meant the loss of inheritance, loss of property, difficulty on every regard because she has no, the inheritance was designed to go to the son and the son was supposed to take care of his mother. That's how that worked. But the son's gone and she's a widow. So who else is gone? Her husband's gone, right? So she has no husband, no son, nobody, no future. She has nothing. She's walking out and the only thing that, the, that she ever thought she had, nobody left in the world, the only thing she thought she had left was, was being carried on a mat. This is a, not a coffin like we think. They, they didn't use coffins. We Sometimes our English translation is just trying to use a word we can relate. What they're carrying them out on is like on a, on a mat. 
his body. They're going to carry him to the family sepulcher where they're going to wrap him like they wrapped Jesus, remember? And they put him in a tomb. So he's being carried out. He probably has just died. It's something that has happened relatively recently. And we, we look at this and we see this woman. And I love what's going on, guys, because Jesus is not doing this for the son. Who's he doing it for? Who did he have compassion for? The mom, the widow. Is that something new for God? That's not nothing new for God. Isaiah 54, verse 4 says this, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your Maker will be your husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth that has been cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, here's the phrase, your Redeemer. Man, the beautiful picture that Scripture paints for us of God is a God who redeems, who saves, who brings the lost into the fold, who says to the widow, though, though there's shame you're suffering, it's only for a little while. I am yours, and you are mine. That's what God is declaring in Isaiah 54. In Psalm 68, it says that God is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in His holy habitation. At His very core, James would say, pure and undefiled religion is this. Pure and undefiled religion. What is it? To visit widows and orphans in their distress. He's laying out, this is the heart of God. This is what God is. God is there for who? The, the deserted, the oppressed, the lost, the person who has nobody. That's what these things are pictures of. The orphan has no, has no father, has no mother, has no one. The widow has no husband, has no children, has no one. What is God saying? I am there for those who have no one. In fact, when he told Moses his name, he said, tell them, God says, I, no one else has known this. So I am Moses, that's my name. Moses said, who should I say you are? God said, Yahweh, I am the becoming one. I am that I am. It's a phrase that's going to come up over and over and over. What does it mean? God's saying, I am everything you need. Because you are broken, I am your healing. Because you are lost, I am that which will find you. Because you are lonely, I am yours and you are mine. I am Yahweh, I am everything you need. Everything that is missing, everything that's not in your life, God is saying, that is what I am. It says in Psalm 146.9, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow, the fatherless, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. Hey, God's Word is laying out. The way of the wicked He brings to ruin. Here, here's a news flash. Okay? Because we always think that's talking about somebody else. He's not talking about somebody else. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the wicked. God is the righteous one. The only way we become righteous is in Him. The Bible very clearly declares that our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? Which are extremely gross if you really want to know. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Filthy rags. He's not talking about the righteous and the wicked, the wicked and the righteous. I, I, I oppose the wicked. I oppose the proud. I oppose those who serve a God in their own image. I oppose those in rebellion against me. I support those who turn to me. 
How do I become righteous? When I bow my knee before Him and He brings me into a relationship with Him. I enter into Christ. I am in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is righteous. What does that make me? makes me righteous. I'm righteous because I'm in Him. If I'm not in Him, what am I? Not righteous or wicked or a mess in need of a Savior. But God's a Redeemer. How does God redeem? He gathers us into Himself. He gathers us into Him. How does that occur? When we receive what He is offering us. What is that? The way of salvation. Through whom? Jesus Christ, His Son. The only way. Only way. There's only one way to come to the Father, Jesus said, me. You have to be in me. 169 times Paul says it in 13 epistles. 169 times. We need to be found in Christ Jesus. In Him. We need to be in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Look, this is what the Word is declaring when He says, I oppose the proud. I oppose the wicked. Think what else God said about the wicked. In Ezekiel, He said, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. What does it mean when someone turns? What's another word we use for that in the church? Repent. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Repent. The Lord commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. Turn. You don't want to be wicked anymore? Just turn. Change your direction. Come to Christ. He's the one who makes the dead live. He's the one in whom my healing takes place. Because I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm broken on the inside. I'm broken a bunch of different ways. But Jesus Christ makes me whole. In Him, I have healing. In Him, I have life. This is what Luke is telling us. This is what Luke is laying out for us. That we can understand. That we can know. Scripture says that the Lord looked at her, the woman, and He had compassion on her. And He said, do not weep. That word for compassion, it's an interesting word, and it's the word most often used of the compassion of Christ. And it's a word used when a Roman soldier would plunge a sword into the heart of his victim rather than let him suffer. Kind of a crazy word, right? Compassion. Mercy. It's like her tears affect him. Did you know your tears affect God? Or do you think God doesn't care? Because sometimes we develop this concept of an impersonal God that, that is so far removed from our suffering that He doesn't, He can't relate. He's, he's, he's so far out there, it's unrelatable. But that's not what the Word declares. The Word declares in Psalm 34, 6, The poor man cried, the Lord heard him and saved him out of his trouble. The tears of the poor man reached his ears. The tears of man has an effect. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's what the Word declares. He has, it affects Him. Listen to this, Psalm 56, 8, one of my favorite. You have kept count of my tossings and you put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Have you ever thought about the fact that God of the universe individually knows every tear you cried? And it was not for nothing. They are not valueless to Him. It moves Him to compassion. It moves Him to a desire to comfort, to hold, to scoop you up, to bring you in. The Lord would look over Jerusalem on His way to the cross and He would say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've wanted to gather you together. Like a mother hen gathers her chicks. You know the next phrase? But you were not willing. God's moved by the the tears. He's moved by the tears of this woman It says, he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and he spoke. 
young man, I say to you, arise. And in that moment, rather than the uncleanness of the dead affecting the holiness of Christ, like man thought it would, the holiness of Christ affected the man who was dead. Is it different today? When Jesus touches those of us who are dead in our trespasses and sin, is it different? Isn't it His holiness and righteousness is passed to us? Because He's willing, just like He said to Jerusalem, to gather us together like a mother hen gathers her chicks, to pull the brood in, to comfort, to bring into a relationship. It says in verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to speak. Here's why I think he was young. And Jesus gave him to his mother. I don't know, just sounds young to me. Almost like he just picked the young man up, right? Put him in the hands of the mother who was weeping for her child. Don't we still have mothers today weeping for our children? Weeping for our children who are dead in their trespasses and sin? Who don't know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus moved by your tears as you pray, as you call on His name? Lord, I know you have the authority to speak a word. And it will be done. And what is it that the Lord says to you and I? Don't lose heart. Do what? Pray. For how long? Forever. How many times? Seven? As many as 70 times seven? Forever, put your faith and trust that the Lord knows what He's doing. Look what happened to the people. Fear seized them all. They're all still in the city gate. Remember, the, the, there's a traffic jam. And they glorified God and they said, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited His people. Scripture over and over again, the Lord declared that He would visit his people that he would come to them in their despair that he would come to them in their hurt that he would be there to comfort those who mourn those who mourn in zion that he would bring his comfort and peace this is the work that jesus came to do he didn't come to establish a church he came to save what does it say in john three sixteen? for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son what that whoever believes in him would not perish but have Everlasting life. Anything about the church? The church is a product after. The gospels are about Jesus saving. He said he didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. How are we saved? We're saved when we recognize that Jesus is the one to whom we cry out, Lord, you have the authority. Lord, you're the one who can deliver, you're the one who heals. You're the one who makes the dead rise. You're the one who gives life. You're the one who accomplishes it all. The first story, we have an incredible example of a man's faith in the authority of Christ. Just like the incredible example of a man's faith who will bow the knee before Jesus Christ and in faith ask Him to be His Lord and Savior. In the second story, there's no mention of anyone's faith, but an example of how God will take the dead and make them live again. Jesus has come to take our brokenness and make us beautiful. By His stripes, I am made whole. He took my brokenness so that I could take His righteousness. He took my sin so that I could take His holiness. That is what Jesus Christ came to do. And that's what the miracles of Christ are pronouncing to anyone who will listen. I've come. When He speaks, it happens. And at His touch, I am made more alive than I have ever been before. 
Ephesians 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places, where? In Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us, where? In Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing, it is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one will boast. For we are His workmanship, created where? In Christ Jesus. For what? Good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Everything we read this morning, God still does today. He's done it in my life. He'll do it in yours. All we have to do is call on His name. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much for the truth of Your Word and that which Your Word illustrates to us. God, that we could come to understand, to, to seek, to, to lay hold of the true value and measure of Your Word. For you have the authority. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. There is no other way to have relationship with the Father except through the Son. There is no other touch that saves. God, you took me dead. And you made me live. I was not worthy for you to enter into my home. But you came anyway. Because when a man or woman will humble himself, then you will exalt them. You heard the cry of the mother, the lonely, the widow, the orphan, those who are afraid. And you're moved with compassion to gather their tears and treasure them as though they were gold or silver. They matter to you. And your great desire is to bring comfort and peace. So the scripture says... God, I pray that we would just lay down our pride. That thing which separates us from you, that we would bow the knee before our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that we would call upon His name, for He is able to save. Scripture says God's arm's not short, nor is He weak, but He is able, mighty, to save that he Yahweh is our redeemer the whole point of the redeemer is to take the broke the garbage the trash and make it beautiful God I just pray Lord as we come to you this morning that your spirit would move in our midst Lord God and that you would just lay it on the hearts of men and women in this place to submit their life to you to ask you to be their Lord and Savior and I pray God that they can feel the beauty of your presence as you enter into their life just like that young man felt the beauty of your presence as life entered into him for Jesus is the resurrection and the life 
God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would turn away from the gods we have made in our own image and lay hold of the God who made me in His. The only God who saves. God, I pray as we enter into worship, Lord, if you lay it on the hearts of anyone here, they just come forward where the prayer counselors are and they'd be happy to pray with them. To lead them into that place where Jesus saves. God, we give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.